TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome into our weekly show. It's about innovation and innovators and just new ways of thinking about things in the St. Louis area. Michael Calhoun with... Travis Sheridan, and this Nothing Impossible show has been going for a long time, and we never run out of cool, innovative people to talk to. Well, it's because people are coming up with new, innovative ideas, approaches. Uh, For instance, we're going to start off by spotlighting the St. Louis Regional Data Exchange. First of all, everything is measured. We have these digital tools that allow us to quantify all sorts of things that we have never really been able to gather data on before, from demographics and boundaries and land records and health trends and all sorts of different things. Uh, And then we have the computing power to crunch that data, and we've got the creativity to think about all of the applications for it. What, What do we need it for? So we'll talk with the regional data exchange coming up and we're also going to check in with uh, biogenerator they one of their portfolio companies recently had an exit which meant it was able to sell to a larger company uh, that does not mean that the team is leaving st louis but it does mean that capital funding is coming back into st louis for some of those early investors that might be something that people have to get used to is when they hear the news that a company has been sold or bought it's not necessarily bad. You don't have to get all glum about it. An exit is a good thing in the startup world. It absolutely is. But in order to have startups that exit, we have to have startups that start. And so we're going to wrap up the show talking to uh, the folks at Arch Grants about the work that they've been doing almost a decade of Arch Grants work, attracting startups and growing startups right here in the region. And attracting the people who are behind the startups because, uh, you know, not every fledgling company succeeds and lasts for a long time. But if we bring the best and the brightest to St. Louis, they may start another company. They may move to one that's already here and really rev it up, or they may get involved civically. And so big part of Arch Grants is just bringing these folks to town to begin with. It is. And so we have a full show. Stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll get started with talking about data in St. Louis. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, welcome into Nothing Impossible, Travis Sheridan and Michael Calhoun. And today we're talking a little bit about data. Actually, we're going to talk a lot about data because there's there are a lot of data out there. Just think about how the city tries to make decisions, how a region tries to make decisions. Think about when you're trying to do your school reports and you're trying to figure out, you know, what's happening in different regions. Uh, There is a new initiative that's been moving forward. It's been many years in the making, but it's uh, recently launched. It's the St. Louis Regional Data Exchange. And we have 
today, uh, Paul Sorensen, who is the director of the St. Louis Regional Data Alliance and also the interim director of the Community Innovation Action Center, uh, joining us to talk about this. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So, you know, first of all, give us a bit of an overview of what is the St. Louis Regional Data Exchange and how can, you know, how is it being used? Right. So, so the St. Louis Regional Data Exchange, which we launched this week, uh, brings together 400 and different, uh, 420 different local data sets from across eight local governments into one place. Uh, so what we didn't try to do is, you know, replace what the city or the county or St. Charles or Madison County or East West Gateway publish on their own because they publish a lot of good information. Um, the, the problem was if people wanted to access it, they would have to kind of bounce around from website to website or web search from web search. Um, and so what we've done is we brought it all under one roof. Um, one, you know, easy way to search with categories that can connect the dots. Uh, and so if you want to see the differences between, you know, St. Charles and the city's COVID-19 dashboards, uh, it's really easy to sort of find and navigate without having to do a bunch of searches. Yeah, so Paul, as we take a look at, uh, first off, uh, what are the different government organizations that are involved in this contributing data? And also for people who are trying to get their heads around, all right, what are the different, uh, I mean, there's so much data that's out there now. We can measure things that we couldn't have measured before. We know in St. Louis, geospatial is a big part of that. But from public safety to real estate to health to education, what are some uh, examples of not just the categories, but within those categories, uh, some examples of the kind of data that you're aggregating right now? Yeah, so right now we, we are really looking to elevate the data that a local government, whether that's a county government or a municipality or, or transit agency, um, is collecting and publishing on their own. You know, it, it's somewhat easy, although, you know, folks who, who deal with a lot of data know that this is also headachy in its own way, right, to, to pull down census data or some reports from the state um, around health or around education. Um, but it's a lot harder to get your hands around, you know, what is the city of St. Louis, you know, responsible for collecting or publishing when it comes to property data, right? When you're trying to understand the scope of uh, uh, the issue around vacancy, um, it, it requires a lot of different data to come together in a way that is not always easy uh, for folks to get access to or sort of wrap their hands around. And so, you know, we started working, um, so there are, you know, six county governments, uh, including the city of St. Louis, which is a, a, a neat little city-county um, combination, uh, as well as East-West Gateway and Metro Transit that are currently on the data portal. Um, and what we did is we worked with them. Uh, many of them are on our steering committee, have been involved in this effort uh, for around two years now uh, to say, you know, what, what data do you currently share? How can we, you know, connect it to other data sets in one place? And now let's use that as a platform to ask those really important questions uh, about, you know, school district boundaries across counties uh, or about how public health information is shared and connected um, between local health departments as they try to tackle the current pandemic. And there's been a number of stories, I'm uh, thinking most recently about the, uh, the, ser <clears throat> the series that the Post-Dispatch did on redlining and some of the real estate challenges that exist. The Washington Times also wrote a story recently uh, about, uh, you know, the changes in appraisal just based on neighborhoods and zip codes. Uh, so that's real estate is one area. You mentioned the, the COVID uh, pandemic. We, we know that St. Louis as a city has, uh, you know, looked at uh, equity indicators and using data to indicate 
you know, the level and degree of equity or inequity within a region. What are some other ways that you, you see these data being used or this tool being used? Yeah, and, and Travis, you, you touch on excellent issues, right? I mean, one thing that's important to know is that our work as the, as the St. Louis Regional Data Alliance uh, the sponsor for this effort, and I can talk a little bit more about what we do, um, is not to put these data together as sort of like data for data's sake, right? Like, yes, we are nerdy folks who get like really interested in maps uh, or interested in, you know, trend analysis and those sorts of things. Um, but we're not, you know, really sort of just sort of collecting this for uh, kind of generic reasons, right? We want the St. Louis region to be stronger. We want it to be able to address some of its key concerns, key considerations around racial equity. Um, and so what the regional data exchange does is it provides a foundation for us to compare, hey, how easy is it or how hard is it? Um, to make these comparisons across counties or across jurisdictions. And, you know, you mentioned the, the St. Louis equity indicators, and, you know, we were involved in the expansion of that work from the city um, to the, you know, the county in St. Charles County, uh, St. Clair County as part of the regional equity indicators that United Way and Ford Ferguson were also a part of. And, and what you would notice on that dashboard is that there simply was not comparable data uh, between St. Louis City and some of those other counties, particularly in the justice for all space, um, which is vitally important. And so one of our questions is, what do we do about it? Um, and what we're excited about moving forward uh, are pieces of data infrastructure like the exchange that give us a really good baseline of like what's out here and what do we need to think deeply about to, to collect as a region. And what kind of uh, decision makers have you heard from or who had been clamoring for this, whether it's folks in government or whether it's uh, private sector companies uh, toward that end that Travis talked about, making life better in St. Louis and solving some of our problems with informed solutions? Are you finding that there is a lot of interest in using this data like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the, the days are done where folks don't recognize that, you know, data is a vital component. Um, of community change efforts. Now, we'll be the first to say that it can't be the only ingredient, right? You need historical context. You need folks to understand the policy arena um, and some of these other vital concerns around community voice, around, you know, how, um, how to move forward. But the data is a key component and can be a common language to connect the dots. So, you know, throughout this effort and, you know, quickly on the Regional Data Alliance itself, you know, we're about two years old. Uh, we were sparked because of these conversations in the region around data and folks being like, look, we wish we had comparable things uh, in order to, to move these important issues forward around, you know, infant mortality or the social determinants of health or vacant property. It's just hard for us to connect the dots. And so, you know, a group of us got together, including representatives from the city and county, um, major universities. So we're at UMSL. Um, but we also have folks from SLU and WashU at the table, uh, as well as the private sector. You know, Doherty Business Solutions, which is a, a consulting firm in town, has been investing at, at this point thousands of hours in kind to help us build things like the Regional Data Exchange um, for, for that very reason, right? Like, there is a big appetite and a big interest in um, how folks can access data to inform change efforts. And one thing that we want to do is, is not oversimplify it, right? The regional data exchange makes it easier to find these data, but they're still not as connected as they need to be. Um, but to sort of say, this is a good start, right? Now we can see it all in one place. 
you know, we, we've done a lot of the legwork for local government. So, you know, working with them, going to their websites, pulling things in, um, knowing that data capacity is not always as strong as it needs to be. And it gives us a solid foundation for asking the more important questions moving forward about where our region is and where do we need to go. I saw recently that the city of St. Louis uh, hired a GIS or a geographic information systems, a GIS specialist or manager uh, within the city ranks. It, is the, have you seen that the city is getting better with its production of data and, and these other municipalities? Are, are people getting cleaner with the data that they, they, that they present and make available? Absolutely. You know, and, and we've been working pretty closely uh, for a little over a year now with uh, a number of folks in city IT uh, to try to understand where they are, where they're going, and, and how we can help, however appropriate. And I think what we found is, you know, similar to the, the regional appetite for information, um, you know, folks within the city, folks within the county, um, you know, and, and the other local governments that, that we've talked to are all looking to step up these efforts in a more substantial way. Now, there is plenty of ways to go. Um, and, you know, frankly, one of the things we find is that even if, right, the city's public health department is able to invest in its own capacity in a, in a new and great way, it doesn't necessarily solve the problem of how does that data connect to the county's public health department. And one of the things that we're, we're hopeful around and one of the roles we hope to play is to be a bridge, um, to, to say, look, here's a table you're both at. Um, we are regionally focused, not just focused in the city and county. We understand that, you know, there are all sorts of reasons why you're focusing on your own jurisdiction. Um, but what can we do together? What tools can we share? What methods can we share? You know, in some cases, like, how can we share notes? How can we have a deeper conversation about who you're working with and the data standards that you're using? Uh, and that's where we're really seeing, you know, collaboration plus data infrastructure, um, you know, paying off in ways that make it easier to do truly regional work. We're talking with Paul Sorensen, the director of the St. Louis Regional Data Alliance. And it seems, Paul, really like this is the time for big data. This is the moment, both uh, in terms of, uh, you know, St. Louis has had some regional data exchange efforts, planning efforts uh, in the past, a few years ago, and then also just in terms of being able to collect and aggregate uh, in the marketplace and in people's minds, this is really seems like it's coming into its own right now as well. Seems like this is the moment for it. Yeah, I, I, I will say, right, this is a, a you know, two-year-old effort and yeah, there are folks who have gotten it from the beginning, you know, including Missouri Foundation for Health, who helped invest in getting this off the ground, and the United Way, who's been partners on a variety of efforts. But I still think even maybe to some of our steering committee members, like some of what we talked about seems a little bit theoretical, right? Like, well, of course, I guess it seems like a good idea that Metro Transit would be able to, you know, share information with local school districts. Um but it's not theoretical anymore in the era of COVID. Um, people are seeing how, you know, local hospitals sharing data with health departments, sharing data with school districts, right? Trying to coordinate between different um, geographies, different political jurisdictions, different sectors, right? Is, is critical to how we are able to respond to crisis and frankly, critical for every day, right? You know, these are things that can make us stronger, more nimble, more equitable, if we connect the dots. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to really understand um, the gravity of the current moment, 
um, and, and, and really try to, to make sure that we're not building things that disappear as soon as COVID disappears, I guess, whenever that is, um, but that we can also leverage this infrastructure to tackle other major regional concerns. Paul, there's, uh, you know, there's having data available and then there's the business intelligence that comes with knowing how to use data. I mean, I, I remember my stats professor always saying, you know, there's a direct correlation between the number of ice creams sold in Houston, Texas, and the degree of crime. So if we want to reduce crime, let's shut down all the ice cream parlors. Like, you know, like there's, there's the er erroneous uh, conclusions that are drawn from not being sophisticated or not having the knowledge of how to use data. Do you know of any regional efforts uh, that are around the proper use and the responsible use of data and drawing appropriate conclusions? So, you know, what we'll say as part of the Regional Data Alliance's efforts, we, we've tried to make sure to focus on, you know, this is not just data for data's sake. Um, you can't just look at the raw numbers, you know, and take it out of context. And I would say, you know, particularly without understanding the sort of qualitative components or, you know, community voice of what's happening, you know, to drive the number of vacant properties um, is, is context that's critical to understanding the information itself. Right. So there's there's a piece of like when we talk about information needed for community change, we need to, to zoom out a little bit and not just sort of look at the raw stat, even though it's super important to have that available. And what we'll also say is, you know, we're partnering more and more closely um, with folks uh, at Washington University, at, at folks at UMSL in particular, you know, in, in particular, um, who do the sort of analysis in a responsible way for a living. And so, you know, WashU's Institute for Public Health. Um, is also a, um, a funder and partner of ours um, in making sure that when, when data is available, um, that, you know, the, the research expertise, um, you know, to help frame it and analyze it appropriately and impactfully um, is, is, is available as well. And so it, you raise a really good question, right? And it's one of the reasons why um, we don't kind of promote data for data's sake, but are trying to put the pieces together um, to make it, you know, impactful and community-focused as much as possible. And Paul, just one more thing. How, how available has this data been? How hard was it to get your hands on it? There have been some other civic initiatives in the last few years who've had some difficulty, especially with the smaller municipalities, getting information and data points out of them. So how hard has it been for you? So we, we started, right, with, with what, um, what was already available, you know, and those things have increased, you know, pretty substantially over the last few years. So, you know, what the city or what the county sort of already publishes in its own open data portals. Um, and that's step one, right? We have been in conversations, though, with those same entities, um, as well as other organizations um, in the region uh, about those data points that are more complex. You know, so a good example of this is, is crime data or policing data. Um, you know, the city publishes it, not always clean. So we're working a little bit on making sure that that data is available in a clean and automated way. Um, but if you go over to the county, right, all of a sudden it's county police and municipal police departments. And sometimes municipalities contract with county police a little unclear where that data comes from. And 
it's critical to get that in order. Um, what we have now in the data exchange is a platform um, to start pointing out where we don't have comparable data uh, so we can start building the infrastructure to really connect those dots as, as deep of a level as possible um, in order to inform local efforts. And so, um, you know, that we are at the, the bottom of the hill, right, but we are thrilled about the partners we have to climb to the top. All right, we're joined by Paul Sorensen. Uh, Paul, where can people learn more about this? Yeah, so you can go to the St. Louis Regional Data Exchange um, by going to rdx, um, expertexchange.stldata.org, um, um, or visit stldata.org to learn more about the Regional Data Alliance itself. All right, so uh, get out there, play with the data, but don't play with it for just data's sake. Try to uh, you know, answer some questions that you might have, listeners, and uh, let's figure out how we can use data to make better decisions to improve our region. We'll be back with more Nothing Impossible right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back into the program, Michael and Travis with you. And let's bring into the conversation Charlie Bolton, who's the Senior Vice President of BioGenerator, because there's a big, I guess you could say, Travis, uh, this is a big exit for a St. Louis area company. Exit's one of those buzzwords that we throw around on the show a lot. I, I don't know if we throw exit around enough. We throw pivot around, mm. uh, but we really need to start throwing exit around more because that is a it's a hallmark of success. Uh, Canopy Bioscience was acquired uh, by a publicly traded company, and uh, that acquisition led to an exit. Uh, Charlie, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Happy to be with you. So, Charlie, tell us a little bit about Canopy Bioscience and what their what biogenerators role what has been in helping establish that company Canopy biosciences is a research tools company uh, broad portfolio of, of products that are used by researchers to to do experiments in the laboratories uh, cancer researchers pharmaceutical researchers they have customers all over the world this is a company that uh, biogener actually created from scratch in 2016 all of the founders were members of the the biogener team and we had this idea to, to to go after an opportunity in research tools as an unregulated space, so the company could could quickly develop products and and get the market uh, with those and uh, generate revenue and and become profitable over time. Um, grew quickly, uh, was able to raise capital to to uh, do some uh, bolt-on acquisitions to get even bigger, and uh, by this year had reached uh, 50 employees. Uh, led from St. Louis, over 20 of the, the entire management teams here in St. Louis in the, in the BioSTL building and the BioGener Labs. So uh, a real strong example of uh, a biotech uh, startup in St. Louis, a little bit of a different flavor than what you typically see, one that got the revenue quickly. Yeah, Charlie, tell us a little bit more about Canopy and the lane that they occupy and uh, why this company felt like they were uh, such a good investment. Canopy, uh, again, has, has uh, tools and instrumentation used by researchers. And uh, the, the key there is to find the right tools and instruments, the, the new technologies that researchers need to really do their job better, to discover uh, you know, therapies faster, develop you know, new products faster. So Canopy went out um, with, with the knowledge they had of, of the research community, found those innovative new products, um, turned them into uh, you know, products that customers could buy, and that, that revenue growth 
and, and the, the, the platforms they have, all the different things they've, they've brought to the marketplace became very attractive to a much bigger company who itself was seeking growth and, and, and innovation. And so Bruker, uh, a 60-year-old company, a couple billion dollar company, looked to St. Louis and, and the team we had put together and the, the products our team had assembled as a great opportunity to uh, expand their portfolio. Charlie, you mentioned that this uh, that these tools are fall into the the unregulated class, and oftentimes when we're thinking about the biosciences or biotech, uh, it's a long. We we often refer to it as a long runway, right? That it takes quite a while because of the regulatory pathway. If it's a if it's diagnostics or or medicine, uh, talk a little bit about how special it is to identify a sweet spot in that unregulated world. So there's a, there's a balance between regulated and unregulated spaces. The the, the product cycle is, is obviously different for a, for a drug. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean the company cycle is different. Uh, pharmaceutical startups have the opportunity to be acquired pre-revenue, often for huge exits. In, in the tool space, the advantages are, uh, again, that there's no long regular FDA uh, process, multi- multiple years of clinical trials and those sorts of things. Uh, it, it's a it's a product, uh, essentially consumer products is what we're talking about, but consumer products used by scientists. And so um, with Canopy, within a year, they probably had 10 products on the market uh, being sold into customers. And uh, so it's a com- completely different space. And so the, the, the growth of Canopy is, has been uh, relatively similar to a consumer product company. Again, highly specialized products for a very specialized customer, uh, but 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 not dissimilar from any other company like that. And Canopy is uh, based in the BioSTL building. They've also, you mentioned this, got started with the help of BioGenerator. Uh, talk about that ecosystem of uh, different pillars that BioSTL has put together, from the physical space to the investment to the mentorship. How did Canopy really get its footing with the help of BioSTL? So BioSTL has systematically put together just a comprehensive suite of programs to help companies get started. And so that involves capital, talent, and infrastructure, along with you know many other um, smaller points. And so with Canopy, really that story began, began in our space. It began with our entrepreneurs and residents, uh, talented individuals with a strong background uh, in the space, people we recruited specifically to go after our thesis and research tools, pre-investment capital programs we have, our fundamentals program, our biogenic grants program, uh, ways that uh, talented individuals are able to resource, able to access uh, resources in the form of uh, de-risking capital and additional expertise. All these things came, came together in the, in the Biogener Labs uh, within the BioSDL building now uh, to, to start this company. And so we were the first capital in from an investment perspective, having incubated the company for about a year before anyone heard about it. And then that, that company very quickly was able to, again, bring products to the market, secure additional investment based on their, their revenue growth. And here it is today with, with uh, 50 employees all over the world. Charlie, the, uh, if I, I think about a normal, if there is such thing as a normal process, if, and I look at some of the other companies that BioGenerator and BioSTL have, have helped scale, uh, it always seems like it's a, a scientist or a researcher from the outside. Maybe they're coming out of academia or they've been doing work at the Danforth Plant Science Center. 
and they are technically sound, but maybe they need that entrepreneur in residence, that executive experience. And BioGenerator has been able to match a scientist up with a with a with a business mind and an entrepreneur. But with Canopy Biosciences, this was an idea that was conceived within BioGenerator and BioSTL, and you assembled the team internally. Is that correct? Yes, by uh, BioGenerator assembled the team for for Canopy Biosciences. Uh, we Every day we, we react to the people that, that come to us with ideas. We have broad programs to provide assistance. Uh, a subset of those uh, companies we invest in, and we help build teams around it, you know, scientists with an idea, and we help build business teams around it. But we also build our own companies from scratch. You know, it's important to recognize the, the strengths we have in St. Louis and be proactive about that. And so, again, seeking to, to balance our portfolio a little bit with a quicker-to-revenue business model we saw an opportunity in the research tool space where we had available talent, the legacy of Sigma Aldrich, and the folks we could bring to bear to, to build a company from scratch around the thesis. And that's something we're, we're doing a, a couple of those a year, a very specific uh, approach to a, an, an area where we see opportunity for St. Louis. And beyond BioGenerator's uh, investment, it, it looks like, as I'm looking at the, the release here, that there were other local investors. I see Kingdom Capital, which I know is a local uh, venture fund, uh, St. Louis Archangels, Missouri Technology Corporation. What does this mean for some of our local investors in the region and really within the state if we look at MTC? For the, the startup ecosystem uh, to work, there have to be returns to investors. That absolutely, that process the complete cycle of high-risk capital being put in early-stage companies, growth of those companies, and exits, um, typically through uh, acquisition by a larger company. That last piece, the exit piece, is what St. Louis needs to really drive things. So for, for Biogenerator, uh, we now have capital returned to us as of yesterday, um, over a million dollars of capital returned from this investment. and We will immediately put that back into several new St. Louis companies before this calendar year is over. And that's, uh, that's the same process for everyone, right? So the, the, the return of capital is an absolutely critical piece uh, for our ecosystem to grow. We're talking with Charlie Bolton, who's the Senior Vice President for BioGenerator, about the exit of Canopy Biosciences, acquired by the Bruker Corporation of Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, there's that, that buzzword again, exit. I think a lot of uh, bystanders who don't know about how the startup ecosystem works are going to hear a St. Louis company bought Oh, no, that's bad news. And they don't realize what you just explained about how it's this flow. Uh, and you, you bring in the cash from the, uh, the exit and it allows for investment in future startups. And where does St. Louis stand, uh, do you think, uh, in terms of the number of exits that we've got and the size of those exits and uh, compared to some of our uh, comparable areas, I suppose? St. Louis has done a really good job putting together the, the tools to stand up early stage companies. And, and there's some really great companies out there when you think of MetaBeacon and, and, and Benson Hill and Covercrest and so many strong companies that are, that are growing in our region and now employing hundreds of people. Uh, what we haven't seen yet are, are the, the exits um, that return capital to investor, investors and allow that whole process to continue. And so a lot of bets have been made. A lot of strong companies are out there, and now now there's the time for for the region to start seeing those uh, returns on the, the investment, so that the process can continue. And Charlie, is the team going to remain in St. Louis? 
Canopy's entire team as it will re, will remain in St. Louis. Um, nothing's changing from that standpoint. The, the company's stronger than ever now under the under the wing of Bruker with the international sales force and the the marketing strength that they can bring. Canopy uh, remains in St. Louis in the in the BioSTL building and has an opportunity to grow uh, even larger than it is today. Fantastic. Well, Charlie Bolton, Senior Vice President of BioGenerator, thanks for your time. Thanks for your expertise, your insight into this. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Stick around for more Nothing Impossible coming up next. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan and Michael Calhoun. And we are jumping in to talk to Emily Loge Bush, the Executive Director of Arch Grants. Uh, new website, new logo, new program. Emily, thanks for joining us. Happy to do it. Nine years. Has it been nine years since Arch Grants first began? And it's it's the program that uh, we say brings the best and brightest people, not just these promising companies, but the people who are behind them to St. Louis. And, and just reflecting on the nine years, how would you say that Arch Grants has really integrated itself into the St. Louis image and to the St. Louis, uh, the St. Louis tradition of uh, trying to get these innovators to move to uh, to the city and stay in the city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think that the uh, the progression of Arch Grants has been um, in somewhat running in parallel with another number of other initiatives. But in some ways, um, I do believe leading the way in terms of um, not just the the efforts to provide grant funding and provide support services for uh, for these incredible entrepreneurs and, and their companies, but also changing our our own narrative about ourselves. It's it's really um, why this all culminates with this champion the bold um, tagline is this idea that we want to not only have people see Champion the Bold as, as emblematic of what Arch Grants does, but it's also in some ways, um, it's so action-oriented, and it's also our, um, it's meant to be a challenge that we are putting out to, to the community, to uh, people at, um, at large, that this is the time to, to Champion the Bold. Um, and yeah, just really thrilled that that this community has been so incredibly supportive over the past nine years and excited about this initiative. And hopefully that will that will just continue to grow as, as we continue to, to up our game. So tell us about, uh, first of all, the website looks great. The new logo looks great. And uh, the new program looks like it has more money associated with it. Tell us about that. Yeah, which is also great. Um, which is also yeah. great, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this... For those of you who have followed Arch Grants for a number of years, this has been um, sort of a, a long time coming where we've been piloting a number of things and and, um, and trying to figure out how we, at this point in our existence, nine years into, um, into Arch Grants' existence as an organization with 154 companies that we funded, how do we continue to do what we do and do it, and do it most effectively for the St. Louis region? And um, we started a process about 18 months ago that started off as a brand refresh process, um, but quickly evolved into also as part of what our brand represents, we have to really sharpen our focus on what we do best, what we do most effectively, 
And ultimately, that has a lot to do with how we support and help our companies grow. And then, of course, how we attract and retain new companies and new talent and and new believers and builders to St. Louis. And so um, as part of that process, we um, we pushed really hard on on that sharpening aspect. And that's where Champion the Bold came up with. uh, We came up with that. That's how. We got to um, the idea of, of the our new logo is actually a um, it's actually if you really want to get technical about it it's the arch cut in half and inverted um, uh, to form a flag and the idea being that we exist to wave the flag for entrepreneurship for uh, people who are solution focused for disruptors um, for people who are are looking to build something better for the future. Um, And then out of that also came our focus on, on what the three main things are that we can affect through our program, which is um, the needs of our, our founders in, in terms of follow on capital, in terms of talent retention and attraction, and um, in terms of uh, customer acquisition. And um, so the growth grants program is, is directly related of course, to that follow on capital um, part of, of the pie, um, and also really meant to, um, to make a bold statement that if you come, when you come to St. Louis through Arch Grants, when you decide to stay here through Arch Grants, you are entering into an ecosystem, a program that will support you not only at, the, at your earliest stages, but as you grow as well. And, um, and then we also realized that, of course, this, is, this has to go beyond just the financial support. So um, we are, in addition to, um, to this growth grants program, we're also doing um, a number of other things. We've, we've brought on our first EIR, um, Entrepreneur in Residence, who happens to be Ronick Schess, who was a 2012 Arch Grants founder with his company, uh, Label Insight. Um, and, and just, we'll see over the next couple of months, a number of new initiatives and programs that we'll be unveiling all under the umbrella of, um, really doubling down on championing the bold. Emily, I, I know you mentioned, uh, the elements of the brand, but it, when I first noticed it, it also had a bit of a confluence of, of rivers coming, yeah. coming into play. Uh, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I often think of Arch Grants as, the confluence of many great resources uh, coming together to add strength and power uh, in a way to truly champion the bold, as you said. I love that. And I also, I, this is part of why I love you, Travis, but you, <laughs> you always, you pick out, those are the, those kind of, um, those artsy type things that, that when the designers brought us to a, uh, brought it to us, we, uh, those are kind of the secondary and tertiary things that you see, but they're so cool when it continues to, to pay off in that way. Well, Emily, the, uh, you mentioned that uh, you try to imagine what life is like and what you, could, what you would do if you had all the money in the world. And then you quickly uh, threw the caveat in there that Arch Grants does not have all the money in the world. Uh, but you, there's also the Arch Grants Gala. And I know a lot of galas have shifted to an online or a virtual format. Uh, Arch Grants Gala going online this year and virtual? We are. We are, we are going virtual, but uh, we are... We recognize also that our our gala is um, has has sort of evolved into a, a big celebration of entrepreneurship in St. Louis, and 
while we go virtual with the gala, we don't want to lose that aspect of it. And so we're actually deep in in planning mode um, right now, doing some filming, and it really it really should be still a a really exciting introduction of our new new cohort of companies and um, celebration of of what entrepreneurship continues to represent in St. Louis. Um, and I I think actually that's it's relevant because I think you know all of us are kind of balancing right now um, the the changing dynamics in every aspect of our, of our lives and what's important and what can kind of go by the wayside. And when we really thought about it, as I said, we've been going through this rebrand for, for 18 months, but in the last six months, we had to do a lot of really um, uh, soul searching to make sure that we, that we were relevant, that we are continuing to be um, uh, doing what, what, what we do best and, and being appropriate and relevant for the times. And um, we ultimately decided that um, that now more than ever is a time where um, it's become so clear that within so many systems and structures within um, our community, within our society, we need some really significant innovation. And the, the believers and builders that Arch Grants attracts and retains the St. Louis are those people. And so not only did we just decide we're still going to do our competition this year, we're still going to do our gala this year, but we're actually going to up our game and, and announce this growth grants program as well. Um, so, and I, I, I should, it, since, since you, since you primed me for it, I will do the shameless plug that it is October 28th from eight to nine. It is all virtual, um, but you can sign up at our new website, archgrants.org. Um, it, free to register, but you do have to register. And, um, but if you do a, a paid ticket, you get a, a little, um, adult beverage treat and, and some sweets. Well, listeners, if you want to champion the bold and see some of, learn more about some of the startups that have come to St. Louis or started and grown in St. Louis through the help of Arch Grants, or if you want to register for the gala, go to archgrants.org. I'll put the shameless plug in there one more time for you, Emily. Uh, Emily Lowes-Bush, Executive Director of Arch Grants, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Always great to talk to you. And thank you for joining us for this edition of Nothing Impossible. Come back next week and always download that podcast. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.